Idiopathic toe walking is a common pediatric diagnosis affecting up to 5% of children. Serial casting has been demonstrated to be effective in the treatment of ankle equinus contracture, but it may not be appropriate for all patients with idiopathic toe walking. Alternatively, use of carbon fiber two pool solid ankle foot orthoses may be an effective intervention to maintain lower leg and foot position within the sagittal plane to improve dorsiflexion, gait, and motor skills among children with idiopathic toe walking and ankle equinus contracture. Although idiopathic toe walking is a common diagnosis, consensus regarding the treatment management is not yet apparent in the literature. Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to episode 10 of ONP Research Insights presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. My guest today is Dr. Nicole Hoffman, DPT. Dr. Hoffman earned a bachelor's degree in kinesiology from the University of Minnesota, and she continued her education at the University of Minnesota Physical Therapy Program and received a Doctor of Physical Therapy degree in 2011. Since then, she's worked as a pediatric physical therapist at an outpatient facility of Children's Minnesota in Minnetonka. Dr. Hoffman has a passion for biomechanics and their impact on all functional movements in pediatric patients. The GATE program that Dr. Hoffman developed utilizes a collaborative approach between physical therapists and orthodists to optimize biomechanics in the pediatric patient by altering the forces acting both internally and externally throughout the body during functional movement. This collaborative approach has improved mobility outcomes for patients with many different diagnoses. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Dr. Hoffman published in JPO entitled, Carbon Fiber Two-Pool Solid Ankle Foot Orthoses Versus Serial Casting in the Treatment of Idiopathic Toe Walking with Ankle Equinus Contracture. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Well, you have a very interesting article, and I'm anxious to get into it, but first I'd like to spend a little bit of time just talking about the topic. Would you please tell me a little bit about idiopathic toe walking? What is it and why is it of concern? Sure. So toe walking is ambulation where you're persistently walking on your toes, your forefoot. Idiopathic toe walking is a persistent toe-to-toe gait pattern without a known medical cause. So this is a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning that we need to rule out all medical causes for toe walking prior to giving them a diagnosis of idiopathic toe walking. So when we get concerned is when we have a shortening of that gastric soleus complex, and this leads to that ankle equinus. So during typical ambulation, as that limb transitions over the fixed foot with that foot in contact with the ground and that heel in contact with the ground, the gastric and soleus are eccentrically lengthened. So this is how muscle length is maintained during normal growth and development. As the person is ambulating with a persistent toe-to-toe pattern, the forces acting through that foot and ankle with each step have been changed biomechanically. And the gastrocnemius now is working in a concentric contraction, so a short contraction, which leads to an ankle equinus over time. So when we get concerned about an ankle equinus is because you have abnormal forces acting on the body and you have this concentric contraction happening at each step. So as that muscle continues to shorten and the forces are acting through that foot in a way that is not typically biomechanically sound, 
the forces cannot be absorbed appropriately, which leads to that skeletal breakdown at that foot and ankle. This can lead to breakdown at the foot, ankle, or up the chain and the knee, hip, pelvis, spine. Um, you can lead to pain, especially at that foot and ankle and that gastrocnemius. And then you can also have concerns for functional mobility, such as increased tripping and falling, coordination impairments, decreased ability to keep up with peers, whether you have an ankle equinus or not. So this is why we typically intervene in physical therapy. And how is idiopathic toe walking normally treated? Typically, there's two different treatment interventions. So you have a treatment intervention for that ankle equinus, and we have a treatment intervention for idiopathic toe walking. So typical treatment for the ankle equinus previously prior to the study were serial casting, surgery, and occasionally Botox has been recommended. Idiopathic toe walking should, however, be treated by a physical therapist, because what we've seen is that when we treat that ankle equinus, the patient is still biomechanically moving in a toe walking pattern. So those muscles are firing in a toe walking pattern. They're moving in these gait patterns and functional mobility patterns that they've learned since they've been walking on their toes. So we need to be retraining all of those patterns so that they can use the established range of motion that they've gained with the Aquinas treatment. So why does this topic interest you? From my early days of playing youth sports, I always understood the importance of biomechanics. Biomechanics to me are a determined set of principles that when applied appropriately can really optimize performance. So this is where my love for treating gait impairments really started because I love being able to really identify that root cause, kind of that puzzle pieces per se, that were leading to those impaired biomechanics. And then kind of using forces to alter the internal and external forces acting on the body to improve overall function. And so idiopathic toe walking was always a diagnosis that didn't always resolve. You know, we have a lot of research that shows that resolution is not always apparent. And so to me, this was a gait impairment, which didn't have a neurological influence. And so I felt that this should be able to be retrained through improved biomechanics. So due to this, you know, between collaborative approach between physical therapy and orthotics, we were really able to kind of facilitate the coming together of both the internal and external forces that we could apply to these gait impairments that we see in ITW to improve the functional mobility. This has been exciting for me. So this is where I started to kind of take a deep dive into why children start toe walking in the first place and what are the common biomechanical and skeletal impairments and how should we most appropriately treat those, which turned into this study. So what was the purpose of your particular study? So the purpose of this study was to investigate whether these carbon fiber two-pole solid AFOs would be comparable to serial casting when we look at standardized outcome measures for things such as range of motion, gait, and motor skills for kids who have idiopathic toe walking with an ankle equinus contracture. So it's interesting that you selected carbon fiber for your material selection for these uh, AFO designs. How did you go about deciding on that particular material and how did you set the stiffness of these AFOs? Yeah, so we know with gait mechanics that there's a lot of triplanar motion occurring in the ankle and foot. 
And so in order to maintain that gastrocnemius, which is a biarticular muscle crossing both that knee and the ankle in the sagittal plane, we needed to kind of control for that foot and ankle motion. So typically when defining stiffness, there's been previous articles that have looked at stiffness where they look at the mechanical properties of that AFO and they measure that sagittal plane stiffness. And a lot of us are familiar with the posterior plantar flexion stiffness. So plantar flexion stop or plantar flexion stiffness of a brace, which we definitely needed in order to maintain a heel toe gait pattern. So we knew we needed stiffness kind of in that plantar flexion to reduce plantar flexion. But what they've shown in, in other research studies is that when you have stiffness in plantar flexions, but not in dorsiflexion, you actually get a strong tibial pull after initial contact, creating a knee flexion moment. And if we wanted to get a terminal extension at that terminal stance phase and get that eccentric lengthening, we needed to reduce this knee flexion that was occurring with that increased rigidity or stiffness for plantar flexors. And so we needed to make sure that that stiffness also wrapped around the entire shank so that it was limiting that dorsiflexion as well. So this limitation and stiffness into dorsiflexion reduced that knee flexion moment and stance phase, thus gaining terminal extension. And you had a previous podcast that was looking at the comparison of that sagittal plane stiffness. And they mentioned in there that there's this rigid structure on kind of a soft, movable limb shank. And that's definitely the case. And so when you're trying to control that ankle joint, if you have stiffness in plantar flexion and dorsiflexion, that ankle is still allowed to move in the transverse plane. And so we knew that we needed to have a material that would really reduce that transverse plane motion in order to keep that gastroc in the sagittal plane. And our findings clinically when we use a polypropylene material is sometimes the stiffness is reduced past our intention clinically just because of how it has to be draped and pulled. Um, there's just changes, there's stretch and human air in that. And so we wanted to have a material that would kind of reduce those variabilities and stiffness, which is why we decided to go with the carbon fiber outer boot. So we had a two-pull system because we needed such a rigid outer boot that we wouldn't be able to get it on the foot without having the addition of an inner boot. So we had an inner boot that really wrapped the entire foot. So we had control of foot and then we could kind of snap this harder, rigid, stiff structure on top of it that would reduce all planes of motions at that foot and ankle. Thank you for that explanation. I can see there was considerable thought in the design and material selection for those AFOs. Yes, absolutely. So what did you expect to find? Did you have any hypotheses or expectations at the onset of this study? Yeah, so we have been using carbon fiber to pull solid AFOs previously, and we had seen very good results compared to serial casting. And so we hypothesized that we would see no difference between the two. And so getting into your methodology a little bit more, what were your inclusion exclusion criteria for the research participants? So the inclusion criteria was children that were four to nine years old. They had to have bilateral toe walking since onset of independent ambulation. Passive dorsiflexion range of motion we wanted between minus five and plus five, measured at that second resistance knee extended and subtalar neutral. 
And then we needed a negative for referral on our toe walking tool. So the toe walking tool is a screen for toe walkers to be able to refer out if a possible medical diagnosis could be the cause of their toe walking. So this is how we kind of ensured that we were treating idiopathic toe walking. And our exclusion criteria was any medical diagnosis or, or orthopedic cause leading to that toe walking gait pattern. Would you please describe the experimental protocol for your study? Sure. So all of our eligible patients that consented to the study perform uh, initial assessment with the physical therapist and the physical therapist was blinded to this initial assessment. And so after that initial assessment, they were randomly assigned into either the serial casting or the carbon fiber solid AFO group of the study. And so both groups were either fit with orthotics or zero casts were applied and they both wore the same cast boots and that were tuned to a 10 degree shank angle to minimize kind of the variability between the two groups. And so serial casts were applied weekly until patients met kind of the discharge criteria for range and gait mechanics. And the solid AFO group wore their orthotics for 23 hours per day until they kind of met their discharge criteria. Both groups had weekly PT and a home program that they completed five days a week. And it was the same program for everybody. And so after discharge criteria for the range and gait mechanics, that phase of the study, all patients had a post-assessment performed that was the same outcome measures as we tested at the initial assessment. And then they were all fit with a solid AFO. And the materials changed for the AFO group in this one. So they had a copolymer inner boot and a polypropylene outer boot for this second phase of the study. They all wore tennis shoes at this point, and they were tuned to a 10-degree shanked vertical angle in their tennis shoes. All children at that point were able to just return to their regular community physical therapy program. The plan of care was established by that physical therapist, and then they returned to the clinic for a four-month follow-up assessment where we repeated those same outcome measures. Now, you mentioned previously that in terms of the outcomes, you thought that the outcomes for the two interventions would actually be similar, but are you aware of any differences in the mechanisms or the functions of the two interventions that you investigated? Yes. So the mechanism for gaining range is different in the serial cast and the carbon fiber ankle foot orthotics. So serial casting applies a low load stretch, and this low load stretch stimulates the production of actin and myosin which results in new sarcomere formation. So this is how we gain range in the serial casting. Carbon fiber AFOs gain range of motion through eccentric lengthening of that gastrocnemius. So we have to make sure we're normalizing biomechanics in these orthotics to allow for that eccentric lengthening to happen. So this is why the stiffness of the orthotic proved to be so important. So how did you go about collecting data and what outcome measures did you investigate and compare? So we collected data, active and passive dorsiflexion range of motion. Um, we wanted to collect data on dorsiflexion, plantar flexion strength. And there's been previous talks about whether you lose strength or gain strength in an orthotic. So we wanted to make sure that we were capturing that. We did an observational gait scale percentage of toe walking reported by parents 
percentage of toe walking over a six minute walk test and the BOT2, which is a standardized motor test that we use in physical therapy. So in terms of your uh, results, how many research participants did you end up enrolling? We enrolled 35 children into the study. So we had 18 on the serial casting group and 17 in the carbon fiber AFO group. Very nice. That's a nice sample size. What were the primary findings of your investigation? So there is no significant difference between the groups and the majority of the outcome measures. We had one incidental finding with the right lower extremity and dorsiflexion um, range of motion, but this was likely due to a chance. So overall, no significant difference between the groups. And do your findings support or refute those of previous studies? You know, there hasn't been a lot of studies looking at orthotics in the use of toe walking. So there's definite support for serial casting in previous literature. So there's a lot of support to utilize serial casting as a conservative treatment option for treating ankle equinus. No other studies in idiopathic toe walking research has looked at using an orthotic to treat an ankle equinus contracture. So this is the first study looking at that. There have been studies that have looked at orthotics for treatment of IGW gait. And so those studies have, have demonstrated improvements in gait. There haven't been a lot of long-term follow-ups with those studies. And so it's difficult to compare, but no other studies have looked at solid AFOs in the use of treatment of idiopathic toe walking. Were there any unanticipated surprises in your findings? And if so, can you explain them? You know, I don't think we had very many unexpected surprises. You know, we thought that if we could really restore the biomechanics with the use of a solid AFO, we should see improvements. And I think that's what we showed. Did you encounter any notable problems in the course of your study? Or what would you have done differently? You know, I think you always look back on your research studies and there's many things you do differently. You know, recruitment is definitely difficult. We kind of had a small inclusion criteria, especially for age. And so we probably would have expanded that, but it was nice to kind of have individuals that were similar in terms of growth and development. At the time, we didn't have a outcome measure that really measured gait. So now we do have an outcome measure, like a gait right to measure gait mechanics, which would show subtle differences. So in the next studies, I would love for a more complicated gait analysis system to be utilized. And then I think I would love just overall more testing of solid AFOs for this treatment and other treatments. I think AFOs and orthotics in general can be used as a great treatment modality for a lot of different biomechanical areas. And so as you're looking at studies and you can recruit subjects, this might be a nice area to study. So what are the main clinical takeaways from your findings? I think the clinical takeaways are that we do have an alternate to serial casting for patients with diagnosis of idiopathic toe walking on Aquinas. You know, we definitely need more research to say for certain in this, but there's patients who are not appropriate for serial casting, either because of skin integrity issues, difficulty with sitting for the time for application, wanting to play sports or be in activities such as swimming. In Minnesota, we have snow, so snow isn't always great with serial casting. So it's nice to have a conservative alternative 
to treat ankle equinus other than referring them for surgical interventions. And then I think what we also showed, and we need a longer follow-up to really show this for certain, but it showed that physical therapy for children with idiopathic toe walking and ankle equinus can be beneficial. So it would be great to get more of these patients referred earlier so that we can start our interventions. And then I think just a side note from me personally, I just want to say, you know, how important it is working collaboratively between the physical therapist and orthotist. I feel that those assessments should be done collaboratively because when you have a patient with those gait impairments, optimal design of orthotics is so important. And when we're really talking about stiffness and changing the gait mechanics, we really need to optimize, you know, where that stiffness is occurring, where the trim lines are, how that orthotic is set up and how it's tuned in the shoe in order to um, optimize those gait mechanics. Yeah, I appreciate you touching on the collaborative efforts between uh, the therapist and the orthodist in this case. It's so important. As we uh, start winding down here, I always like to ask our guests, did you receive any funding to conduct this study? We did receive funding. So we received an internal grant from our hospital, so Children's Minnesota, and we are so thankful for their support and their funding in this project because we really felt like this will pave the way for future research, not only in idiopathic toe walking, but hopefully in other gait impairment diagnoses for the use of orthotics and physical therapy in their treatment. Wonderful. Yeah, I always like to remind listeners that research like this doesn't take place in a void, that it does require time, effort, and money on the part of research personnel. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. We've come to the end of our podcast, so I'd like to thank Dr. Hoffman for sharing her insights and discussing her research with us today. I'd like to remind everyone that if you would like additional information on this project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of ONP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's ONP Research Insights podcast, and we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article.